Guys, this is Pastor George Morrison, if you don't know him. He's been my pastor for 28 years. 28 wow. years. That makes us older. Time. That makes us older. <laughs> makes maybe. you older. <laughs> um, so many memories. Um, I was on staff at Faith Bible Chapel with Pastor George for 15 and a half years. And uh, that was the only church I ever knew before Novation was... Um, his ministry and then being on staff, and, and uh, I just thank God for you. Um, Pastor George has been a, just a really good spiritual father in, in many ways and a leader, but the thing I'm, I'm thankful for is in, in our relationship is that you stuck your neck out for me when people wanted to kick me to the curb, mm-hmm. and if you wouldn't have done that, this wouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. So whatever blessing and ministry innovation has been able to do, it's, it's part of your inheritance wow. and, and reward you. in heaven, too. So I thank God for that. Thank the Lord. We, uh, yeah, Janelle and I, when Janelle and I felt called to, to start a church, we didn't have a huge plan. We, uh, we <laughs> had a calling, and we just knew that our first step was to bring it to, to our pastor. And, and I remember going to Pastor George, and I said, feel like we're supposed to, to start a church. We don't want any money. We don't need anything. We just want your blessing as our pastor. And he went and we, we made up our mind. If he said, no, I don't think you're supposed to do it, then we weren't going to do it. If he said, yes, we were, we were going to do it. He prayed about it. And over the weekend, he said, you're supposed to do it. So uh, that's, that's having your blessing on that has been huge in, in our church. And so yeah, thank, thank God you. for that. But give it up for Pastor George. He's got a good word for you this morning. Thank you, Scott. Love you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's still morning, right? All right, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, Without sounding uh, flaky or anything like that, it is like coming home to family. Uh, It really is. I feel so comfortable here when I come in, and I see familiar faces, new faces, thank God. I get to see Scott and Janelle and uh, others that are in the room, and... uh, it's a, it's a real blessing for us to come back home. So we're trying to come back uh, from Georgia. Uh, by the way, we have moved to Georgia, uh, our family has, to be with our youngest uh, family, grand, grandchildren. Uh, that is Kelly and Rod. Our older uh, children and grandkids are up here and now spreading out other places. But uh, So we decided to go down there and be with them. So it's been a great move, and uh, we're enjoying it, and we're enjoying watching the kids. Uh, we continue to do our ministry from there, Truth and Life Ministry, and uh, Cheryl and I, we were not done uh, when we finished pastoring Faith Bible Chapel. That was a tremendous time in our life. The, I can't think of a greater opportunity that anyone could have that Cheryl and I and our family had at Faith Bible Chapel, and it's so good to see it going, and this going, and others going. But we knew we weren't finished yet, so we started traveling overseas, and our last uh, trip overseas was February of last year, and of course we returned to this, you know, what we're in the middle of now. So everything basically shut down. You know we traveled to Israel a lot. That is shut down. But God has opened up some new avenues. How many know when God closes one door, he opens another door? There's no doubt about it. He will do that. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on a closed door. Uh, I'm going to look for the open doors 
that God has before us. And so we found some open doors, and so we're doing a lot of... I never knew what Zoom was. <laughs> I mean, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I know people would say I'd Zoom out a lot, but I, the, the, the Zoom teaching. So we're doing that a lot. Uh, Cheryl and I are focused right now on a Brazilian team, the country of Brazil, and we're working with the national leadership there, and we're doing training with them. We just uh, got off the plane on Friday, and the Zoom teaching was starting, so I had my phone in the car, and Cheryl had hers in the back seat, and we had our team members down there, and they were speaking in Portuguese, and they were interpreting, and here we are. Running. It's amazing technology to be able to do all that, but we had a great time with them. We were able to pray with them, and hear what's going on in Brazil. Things are going on around the world, and they will continue to go on. So I, I, uh, the gospel is not going to stop. I don't care what they close down, you cannot close down the gospel. You can't shut down uh, God's word going out and found, finding a place of rest. So that's happening. We're glad we're involved in it, but we are looking forward to the time when we can begin to travel again. Listen, when Scott called me and he talked to me about coming, well, first of all, because of his father, and I'm going to reserve my uh, comments for this afternoon about Frank, who's just, just a great friend, and uh, wanted to be here no matter what, and then Scott asked me to be part of it. Uh, and then he asked me to speak this morning, and, and I asked him, what are you talking about? Are you in a series? And he, and he mentioned they're in the series of I Am. And of course, I love... Uh, all the sayings of Jesus that he says, I am, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, uh, I'm the resurrection and the life. But I always go back to the, the first time we read that is when Moses was kind of negotiating with God <laughs> about going back into Egypt and delivering the people back in Egypt. And he was kind of concerned and he said, who do I say sent me? And God's response was, do you remember? I am, I knew you knew it. I am that I am has sent you. That's all you have to say. And there's so much to unpack. Uh, but to move to the New Testament, then Jesus makes proclamations about himself, who, who he was, the I am's. So today we're going to deal with I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to find it in John chapter 14. So if you have your iPad, you have your telephone, uh, whatever other means. Uh, you have a Bible. <laughs> huh? Okay, if you have a Bible, go to John chapter 14. You know, I was really debating. I, I had a Bible. I was studying uh, a, in a Bible at my daughter's house, Neely, and then I had my iPad. I wanted to bring my Bible, but let me tell you, bottom line, why I chose to bring the iPad. Can anybody guess? It's larger. <laughs> I can actually read it. And so I made it larger. So that is the reason I did it. All right? So I'm going to read. Now, let's pick up John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Let me read these. Listen carefully. I, I know we celebrate this verse many times. It's one of those verses we kind of go to. It's a go-to verse when you're thinking about the struggles of life. And you're kind of like want to get out of here. <laughs> you ever felt that way? You just want to get out of here. Let's get to heaven. Well, this is a verse that talks about that a little bit. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
believe also on me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, the church, believers, followers of Jesus, owe a great gratitude to a gentleman by the name of Stephen Langston. Stephen Langston was the Archbishop of Canterbury back in the 1200s. And up until that time, when you the Bible was formatted in like a book. Matter of fact, most books today have chapters, but it didn't even have chapters. So you just, they were letters, and you just read through the letters. So there are no distinctions like chapters or verses. So he put, took it upon himself right before he died as a project to break it down to the, the way we have it today, chapters and verses, okay? So that was a great help to lay people and to get the word of God out so it could be easier, easy to read and to understand. Uh, I, for one, am happy. But there are times uh, there, that can be a little hindrance to us because we read a chapter like this and we say, oh, I am, you know, let not your hearts be troubled, and we read that, and it kind of becomes this verse, and, and we look at it, it's kind of floating out here, not really attached to anything else. Oh, let not your heart, oh, that's a great promise and that God's going to go prepare a But we don't realize that this verse and section of verses is tied to a whole context of teaching that Jesus was doing. And to totally understand this verse, you have to understand this context, okay? Now, I'm inviting you to Bible study. How many want to go to Bible study today? All right, we're back, we're in Bible study. I want to teach you a little bit. Uh, so you're going to just really, really listen up and make some mental notes. I know you all can do it. You're all geniuses, and uh, Scott has taught you well. So we're going to go from there. So the context is upper room discourse, it's called. Now, there are several different discourses in the New Testament. A discourse is a teaching time. It's uh, extended teaching time. And many things are taught during that teaching time. For example, you have the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And that's when Jesus is in the northern part of Israel. We've been there. Scott has been there. Many of you that are in this room have been there. And it's, it's where he stood and multitudes of people uh, at that time, 15,000 plus people gathered around the Sea of Galilee listening to Jesus teach one message, one hour after the next hour after the next hour. Sometimes for days he would be in one particular location. That was a discourse time. Another one was on the Mount of Olives just before he was going to the cross and die. He sat down and he taught them on the 
new kingdom and end times and Jesus' return, some of the things are going to happen in the end. So these were teaching times. This particular discourse is called the Upper Room Discourse. Now we know the Upper Room. The Upper Room is where he celebrated the Last Supper. But during that time, he was teaching them a lot. And I want to kind of back up a little bit to go over some of those things because we, we need to understand the context of this particular verse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Okay, if we just start with that, obviously there's something Jesus is aware that his disciples are troubled. Matter of fact, they're agitated. They're upset. Uh, they're restless, you could say. They're confused. And why? Because Jesus, in teaching them in this upper room experience, they were hearing things they didn't necessarily want to hear. They had expectations now that were fading away because Jesus was, was blowing the bottom out of these expectations. Their expectation was is that Jesus was the Messiah. They come to believe that. He was their redeemer. He was going to be their king, and he was going to set up his throne. They are now in Jerusalem. It's the Passover time. This would be an excellent time to do it. So they're expecting that, and yet Jesus is saying things that are just don't make any sense. Uh, he's telling them he's going to die. Well... <laughs> That kind of blows some of their thoughts away. How can you be a king and set up your kingdom if you're going to die? He's telling them that one of them is going to betray him. That's in the room with them. So the 13 that were there, this was a very private, intimate gathering. Speaking to the 13, one of them is going to betray Jesus. Well, how would this make the others feel? Hey, I thought we were a team. Who is this other one? Uh, he's telling Peter uh, that Peter's going to deny him. Peter's standing up like Peter, saying, no way. I'll stand with you to the end if I have to fight to the death. And Jesus said, before the night's over and the cock crows three times, you will deny me. So can you imagine sitting there hearing all these things with all these other expectations that had in your mind, knowing that Jesus could heal and he had the power of God invested in him, he could do anything, and yet hearing all these things, no wonder they were confused. No wonder they were agitated. No wonder they were upset. Because things were not going their way. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, I want you to take a moment on those words, let not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. That is a command. That, that is not said in a, a passive way like, oh, don't be troubled about this situation. No, it's more like this. Don't be troubled, guys. Don't be all stressed out. He, he's sensing their anxieties and frustration and agitation, and he's saying, don't be stressed out. Let it go. Properly, you could interpret that this way. Now, was Jesus being insensitive? 
was, was he lacking compassion for what they were going through, realizing that he was saying some hard things? No, he wasn't saying that. He was simply saying, don't let your feelings control you in this particular moment. This says something to me, that we don't have to have our emotions rule our lives. People are emotional right now. People are stressed out right now. People are agitated right now. People are not getting their way right now. Things are not working out the way they thought they were going to work out. And it just seems like it's dragging on and on and on. But don't let your emotions ruin your life, rule your life at this particular time. You don't have to. You can get on top of your emotions. Why? Because God would never give a command unless he had an answer to how you could fulfill that command. He never says something that's impossible for us to do, but he will equip us to be able to do it. Do you believe that? That's just the way Jesus is. Uh, That's who we serve. So feelings can lead you astray. Feelings can steal your peace. Feelings can cause you to be fearful, afraid, anxious, your mind disturbed, and you react to situations in your family like maybe you don't mean to react, but you're so tense, you're you're reacting that way. So I think we, if anyone should get on top of it, it's the church of Jesus Christ. It's believers in the Lord that we have the answer that is right here. So that is the setting. Take a moment, hear what Jesus is trying to say in all of this. He would never give us something that we could not do. So when he says, let not your heart be troubled, stop stressing out, we can take control of our emotions. We have the ability to do that. Now, Jesus gives us three reasons why. Let me give you those three reasons. And again, I think you could get them in your mind, put them on your notes, jot them down, speak them in your, no, don't speak them in your phone. They'd have a dozen people speaking into their phones. But here are the three reasons why we can get on top of this thing. We don't have to lose it. We don't have to be controlled by feelings. We can no matter what Jesus is calling us to or what, what we find ourselves in. Number one reason, because of who you know. You as a believer in Jesus, it's because of who you know. Number two, because of where you'll go. Number three, because of what he'll show. So it's who you know, where you go, and what he will show. And that's found in this text here. If you were to back up to chapter 13, you would find they had their triumphal entry. Uh, People were cheering, excited to see Jesus come into town. They have heard about his reputation. He's the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. The Bible makes it clear that many were there because he did raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, that doesn't happen every day, you know that? And Jesus... So they were excited. They were proclaiming him to be king, Hosanna, in the highest. And uh, then he goes right into this situation here. So there's a great letdown. But here are the reasons why. 
Jesus was always there in amazing ways. They knew this. Uh, traveled with them through the countryside. They saw with their own eyes the food that he provided in a miraculous way. He saw the deliverances of the different people and the healings took place. He saw Jesus calm the storm. He saw Lazarus, who I mentioned, who died, and four days later is raised from the dead. Wow. So he says, believe in God, believe in me. They had every reason to believe in him. I take, take it back a little bit of what that verse means. You believe in God. These people believed in God. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed in the promises of God that were handed down. They believed that they were brought to the promised land to inhabit it. Now Jesus was saying, if you believe in God, believe in me. And he proved to them they could believe in him. For three and a half years, don't you think he should have learned their trust? He earned their trust. And that's what he's saying here. It's who you know. You know me to be God. You know me. Trust me. I'll tell you, when you feel stressed out, when things aren't going your way, when you think it's impossible, you lost a job, or you didn't get a job, or you didn't get the pay, or you've been laid off the job, or the marriage isn't working out, you can trust God that he's going to still be with you because he's shown you that over and over again. So that's the first reason. The second reason is this, because you, of where you'll go. Now this is important. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, I know some of you have read in the past and have heard, well, doesn't it say mansions? You're telling me it's just a room? I'm looking for a mansion with a long Hollywood-type driveway going up it, you know? And you're telling me it's a room. The proper interpretation is room. But I'll tell you. Why, in just a moment. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I go to prepare a place for you. The Bible talks about heaven much. Matter of fact, 532 times heaven is mentioned in the Bible. So Jesus had a message about heaven. Jesus wanted us to know about heaven. It's not just some pie in the sky, but it's a real place that Jesus was talking about. But in the context of this particular chapter, he, he's, he's getting even more intimate. He's bringing them from, from maybe thinking of the streets of gold and the pearl gates and the crystal sea, which is all true. He's bringing them really to what the heart of heaven is. And the heart of heaven is, he's saying, listen, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my father's house. You're going to the father's house. That means your family. Turn to someone and say, your family. Your family. Now, that ought to mean a lot more to you than just, oh, we're going to this fancy place. No, family. Jesus is making a point here, a very intimate point about the Father's house being like a family. In my Father's house there are many rooms. 
Now, a little bit of background to that in the context in which that is written also. Give you an example. Abraham, the father of our faith, and goes back to the call of Abraham that brought him in the promised land. Abraham, with his wife, would be in a tent. They'd be raising their children, and then the oldest one, uh, Isaac, gets old, and uh, he marries, and they build a room onto the tent or another tent beside that tent. And then as the other children grow, you build all these tents, and, and before long, you have this tent city. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the way the houses were. But, but heaven has these Father's house and all these rooms in the Father's house that are being prepared for you. Thirdly, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take it to myself that where I am, you may be also. Listen, don't miss this. He's saying, I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The third reason we can have hope and get through this whole thing is because of what he'll show. Your room will be very personal. He has you in mind as he's preparing that room. It's going to be very personal. We don't have a long time to expound on that, how, how personal God is with each and every one of you. You're just not a number. You, you, you're, you're very personal. God has this. Listen, I heard it say to me, and it sticks in my mind. If if God had a picture of me, I'd be on his refrigerator. And, you know, that makes sense to me. I can relate to that. You know, you get these people on your refrigerator and they remind you, oh, wow, yeah, I'm praying for her. There's my grandson, my granddaughter, my kids, da-da-da. No, your picture would be on his refrigerator. The idea actually has a double meaning, too. So Jesus has been gone. 2,000 years preparing a place for you. So all that you're going through, all the challenges of life, every demand of life, you're learning, you're growing, you're expanding. God is preparing, you're on job training for that place that God is preparing for you. Now the double meaning here, and I believe there is a little double meaning here, the idea would be this. He's saying, I'm going to go prepare the way. Because he goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So to prepare the way, here's what Jesus has to do. Not that he just goes prepare this place, this house where you're going in a room for you, but he has to prepare the way. How did Jesus prepare the way? He had to go to the cross. We would have no hope in a future without Jesus going to the cross. There's no way that we could enter into the graces and the mansions, whatever you want to call them, into the heavenly home that we have if it weren't for Jesus going to the cross. How many are thankful for Jesus? He started it all, folks. Yes, we hear it over and over again, but don't stop thanking him for that sacrifice that he made for us. So he, he prepares the way, a place, through his humility, through his dying on the cross, through an comforting 
and confront, comforting us on the way, but confronting our enemy also. He confronted our enemy. He was preparing the way to deal with the enemy through the resurrection and through the ascension. He was preparing the way for it. Verse 4 here says, Thomas comes onto the scene. I like Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we, how can we know the way? Now, Thomas, I said I like Thomas. You know why I like Thomas? He's honest. I mean, he is downright honest. Uh, it's, he's just like the kid in the classroom. You know, the teacher's going on, da da da, and she's babbling, and, and, or he's babbling. And, and now everybody gets that, and everyone, you know, Thomas goes, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, I don't understand that. Tell me more. Thomas had a question for a brain. He was always questioning. He, he questioned whether or not, even at the end, was it really Jesus that appeared to you guys? Thomas, put your hand in my side, in my hand. I like the one I like the best, is very humorous, is that when Jesus was going to see Lazarus, asked for four days he was dead, and the Pharisees and all were out to kill him. Thomas just threw up his hands. Everybody had voted on going. He said, well, I guess I'll go too and die. You know, he was just so honest about it. That's what he said. You know, so, so Thomas was this way. So Thomas asked the question. He, he makes the statement, we don't know where you're going. Here's what Jesus said. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Thomas, with all his inquiries and his honesty, ended up being a great man of God. He went to India to share the gospel, first one to go to India and share the gospel there, and there still remains there in India. I've seen them of Thomas's ministry from 2,000 years ago. said here, no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I'm going to say some things here, and I, I don't think they're going to offend you because I think you know enough about God's ways and, and, and uh, his uh, word and how direct his word is that you can accept this. The way that Jesus is talking about, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. That way is a narrow way. It's not a broad way. Not everybody is going to go down that way. Very narrow. There was a time in my life when I, someone might say to you, you're pretty narrow-minded. You have no idea how narrow-minded I am. I have narrow mind because I have closed my mind off of every other false distraction that leads me away from God and Jesus and following him. Narrow way. And I don't mean, not, not in an obnoxious way, we have narrow minds or a narrow way. It's just because Jesus is also the truth. If we really want truth in life, and that's what we really all want, we're running around looking for truth in places where you're not finding truth. But Jesus is the truth. So I'm narrow-minded because he's the only way, he's the only truth, and in him is life. Now let me give you a little illustration of how this works. 
Let's say that I'm in a state that I'm not familiar with. I used Louisiana, uh, this, in the state of Louisiana the other day. I'm in New Orleans, let's say. And we're visiting, and I'm looking for a particular place to eat. I heard it's a good place to eat. So I stopped someone in the corner, and they said, oh, yeah, I know where it is. Just three blocks down here, and you turn left, and then when, when, when you get down there, you're, you're going to see a kind of a statue in the corner. And then you turn right, and then there's going to be a Taco Bell, and then behind the Taco Bell, and, uh, okay, now th this is pre-cell days, so we're, okay, pre-cell days, so don't be thinking, well, you can just do that. Uh, so he, he looks at me, and he knows that you're not getting this. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take you there. Get this. I'm going to take you there. You know what Jesus is saying? Stick close to me. I'm going to take you there. Through it all, stick close to me. I'm the way. Just wrap your arms around me. Get as intimate with me as you can get. Get all your thoughts wrapped around me because I am truth. You don't have to go anywhere else to find truth. I am truth, and in me is life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Not old, dead but a new creature in Christ's life. So I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says it in the context of trying to explain that in the midst of all your anxieties and, and fears and torments and wrestling and confusion, stick close to me. Don't abandon Jesus when the things get tough. That's the, that's the worst thing that you could do at that time. Is anyone getting this? Are you getting a stick? And that's all Jesus is simply saying in this text. But the context is the upper room. It's an intimate gathering with 13 men. One ends up betraying. But Jesus, this is his last. He won't go back into the public and minister anymore. He ministers this to them. I see the church today as his intimate family. And he's ministering in an intimate way today that here it is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Hang on to me, and you're going to make it through all of this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back and uh, just lead us in a little bit of worship because I, I, I want us to take ponder, take a moment and pause and think about John chapter 14. Think about the setting of the upper room. Think about your brothers and sisters who have gone on before you, the disciples, the disciples, the Johns, the Thomases, the Peters, what they must have felt like, and yet they were there, and Jesus saw them through. They did come out on the other end. You will come out on the other end, I believe. Will you stand with me, please? As we sing a worship song, and then I'm going to come back, I'm going to pray over you, and I want to bless you uh, in this time uh, that we've had here together. And what a privilege it is for me to be here and just be able to speak this word. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say. You're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, 
disciples were feeling maybe you're feeling some of the same things maybe you're feeling things are not working out the way I thought they were going to work out uh, that doesn't mean God has abandoned you he's still with you what do you do when you feel like they're not working out maybe you feel like so, so many things happened to us this year I don't know if we're ever going to recover what do you what do you do when you begin to think like that you go to the way, the truth, and the life. You attach yourself to him, and he'll take you by the hand and lead you to that place. Now, maybe there are some here today that are, maybe you're still kind of tossing around the idea whether or not you're willing to give your life totally over to Christ. You know him in your head, but do you know him in your heart? Have you given it all up for Jesus? Have you said, I forsake it all. I believe that you died on the cross for me, for my sin. I have sinned, and I'm sorry for my sin. If you're that one, just tell them. In a very simple way, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the way I've been acting. I'm sorry for my disobedience. I want to follow you. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And I want to cling to you for all of that in my walk. Let me bless you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord keep you in every step of the way that you need to navigate through this life at this particular time by his guiding light by you drawing near to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Give God praise for who he is. For who he is.